Being a Better Man, episode 14. It's story time. You have just entered a world governed by personal accountability where being a man is not an excuse for bad behavior, where complaints are not allowed, whining is forbidden, and excuses do not exist. Join us as we focus on the actual character of men rather than merely the trappings of manhood. Well, hold it. We're not doing that today. Today is story time. That's right, folks. Instead of the regularly scheduled podcast, I've decided to squeak in something extra in between. Story time with Alf. Let me explain. You see, deep down at the core of my soul, I am a storyteller. I come by it quite naturally. For thousands of years, telling stories was the way my ancestors conveyed important information from one generation to another. In my life, I've amassed a large collection of stories. Some of them are funny, some are sad, some are touching, and some are very serious. But they are all 100% true to the best of my recollection. These stories are also relevant to the mission here at Being a Better Man. Because in every story, even though these are my stories, there is some lesson, example, or other nugget that you might be able to apply to your life, or it might remind you of your own similar story. Either way, you should be entertained. So at the end of each story, I will talk briefly about what the lesson learned was, the moral of the story, in other words. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the story. It was the summer of 1968, and I was six years old. At this time, my family lived on a very long dead-end street that branched off of a major four-lane arterial, making a T. Our house was quite a ways down the road, so the busy road at the end of the street was never really an issue, because I didn't wander that far away, typically. My birthday was in July, and I had received my very first bike as a gift. I loved that I had a bike, but I hated having one and not knowing how to ride it. My friend Sean, who lived a few houses down, was in the same boat as me, and we decided to help each other learn how to ride. We both thought training wheels were stupid. Training wheels were like a big neon sign that said, Hey, this guy is a little kid who doesn't know how to ride his bike. No, we were desperate to learn how to ride without training wheels. We devised a plan that was pretty simple. We took turns pushing each other across the road. The road was about 15 feet wide, so we would get about four revolutions of the pedals before we crashed into the ditch. Then it was the other guy's turn. This was decades before anyone thought about inventing safety equipment for kids, so there were no helmets, no pads, just us. We did this several hours a day for a few days. We were getting a little banged up with all that crashing, but I started to notice that something was different. It felt like during that brief moment before I crashed each time, that I was in more and more control. I started to feel like I could actually keep going if that ditch wasn't in the way. So one day, I pointed my bike down the road instead of across it. Sean looked at me funny as if to ask what I was, what I was doing. I think I can do it, I said. I think I can ride this bike. Just push me real fast, as fast as you can. It's really going to hurt if you crash on the street, Sean reminded me. I know, but I think I can do it. So Sean started pushing me, and I started pedaling. I was concentrating very hard, and after a moment I thought, Wow, Sean is really running a long way. 
I managed to look behind me and to my amazement realized that Sean had stopped pushing me quite a ways back. I could see him standing there, his mouth open in astonishment and wonder, watching me ride this bike down the road. Then the realization hit me that I was, in fact, riding this bike totally unassisted. I had done it. There I was, just riding down the road like a big kid. I swelled with pride and happiness, and I was just on top of the world. But my pride and happiness soon turned into terror as I realized I had never learned how to stop or turn or anything, really. All I knew how to do was sit there and pedal. I was now on a runaway bicycle. And if I didn't figure out a way to stop it, well, that was too terrifying to even imagine. I could see the busy road far ahead of me, maybe half a mile away. I could see the cars going back and forth as they passed my street. I started screaming. I was screaming that I needed help, that I didn't know how to stop. I passed several neighbors in their yard. I screamed at them, begging them to help me. But they all just looked at me very strangely, like they didn't understand. This really confused me. I didn't understand why no one seemed willing to help me. I just kept getting closer and closer to the busy street at the end of the road. My house would be coming up soon, on the right. I was praying that either my mom or dad would be outside. Surely they would help me. As I approached my house, I could see that dad was in the driveway. I started yelling as loud as I could. He was very hard of hearing due to an illness when he was younger, but he, he did notice me. I was screaming and crying at this point. He gestured for me to come to him. I frantically signaled that that was impossible because I didn't know how. To my grave disappointment, Dad then gave me the same confused look that the neighbors had, like he didn't understand what I wanted. Now I was on my own. The busy road at the end of the street was growing ever closer. There were few neighbors in that stretch of road, and even if someone saw me, they probably wouldn't help me. I began the, to face the fact that I was probably going to die. Now I could hear the cars as they sped past the end of the street in both directions. I thought about my family my grandparents, all the people I'd come to know and love in my short little life. I was sad that I would probably never get to be a man now, because in a few minutes it would be all over. I looked down at the bike I was riding. A few minutes earlier I had been elated that I had mastered its use, and now this very same thing would be the instrument of my destruction. It was quite ironic. As I got closer and closer to the busy street, a strange sense of calm came over me. I stopped crying. I realized what was going to happen and that there was nothing I could do about it. I gripped the handlebars tightly and just made a wish that it happened quickly, that I wouldn't be dragged down the street and ground up on the pavement. I just hoped it would be a clean impact, at least. I was about 50 feet away now, and that's when my fear returned. My heart was beating so fast, almost beating out of my chest. As I came to the intersection, I held my breath, closed my eyes, and I flew into the busy street on this bike from hell that I had become a prisoner of. Time slowed to a crawl as I just waited for the impact to happen. It took forever. And then my front tire started bumping as if it was on rough ground. I opened my eyes and realized that somehow, miraculously, I had made it all the way across the road without getting hit. My bike crashed into a deep ditch with lots of brush, and I was thrown off the bike and landed on my back amid some sticker bushes. I just laid there, still, staring at the sky, 
and wondering how I was still alive. As I lay there, I heard a noise, and then my dad's face came into my field of vision. Even though he had not heard what I said, he could tell I was in great distress, and he had chased me all the way down the road. Now, after having been a father, I bet it was much harder on him watching me cross that busy street than it was on me. He picked me up and brushed me off, hugged me. Then he looked into my eyes and asked me why I didn't stop or turn around. I told him through my tears that I just didn't know how. His expression was a mixture of of wonder and amusement and confusion. (laughs) The next day we spent some time going over every possible bicycle contingency that there is. Well, that's the end of the devil bike story. So now, what's the moral of this story? I've actually drawn upon this experience in my life at those times when I feel panic setting in. A little fear is healthy and normal, but panic is paralyzing. If I had remained calm and not panicked, I may have realized that I could simply stop pedaling, or I may have figured out that I just had to turn the handlebars. As it was, I couldn't think clearly at all. Panic had made me useless to the point of idiocy. Of course my neighbors looked at me funny because they knew all I had to do was stop pedaling. But I didn't know that, and it almost killed me. So like I said, I've been able to remember this and use this experience to help keep a cool head when things get crazy. Our mind is our biggest ally in all situations. We cannot afford to let panic rob us of our ability to think. Well, that's it for story time today, guys. Now go out there into the world, remain cool and calm, and find something to do that will make you a better man today than you were yesterday. Until next time, this is Alf Herigstad signing out.